Father God, we we come today just consumed with our own life sometimes. And sometimes we just need to sit and watch with prayerful eyes in the squares, in the streets, in the neighborhoods, in the marketplaces, in our own businesses. And we need to ask you a question. What are you doing, Lord? What are you up to? And how can we be a part of it? God, I thank you for the opportunity to to worship you, Lord, the God of the universe, the God of the God of all creation, the God of history, the God beyond time and limits, but also the God of November 2009 in northwest Arkansas. That you are no more or less God now than you were when you spoke the world into existence. And if, Father, we could just see through your eyes our own world and that greater things and greater days and greater works are yet to come. And that we might be, Lord, available. That we might be people a church that you would so choose to use for your glory and for all kingdom. Lord, we bless you and we praise you for this time. We ask that, Lord, you would awaken, awaken our spirits to the work that you're doing around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Finish this statement with me. Surely by now, appease me. Pretend that you know what I'm saying. At least mutter something because I've only said it a half a zillion times. But the best way to bless a community is to start a church. The best way to bless a community is to start a church because it is the only way to bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. There's no greater way that we can. Now, again, there's a lot of good social clubs out there, community organizations, schools, and, and business opportunities that, that really are, 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 are conscious and mindful of, of, of the world and of our own society. But if you want to take all of them, you want to package them together, there's no greater organization than a fully functioning, God-honoring church that is blessing a community, body, mind, and spirit. So I hope that we are that church. i tell you a story that happened in my life back in February of this year. And I think I've told it to you before, so again, bear with me if, if you've heard this. But it was, in, it was in February, late February. I can't tell you the exact date. I think it was on a Tuesday of a, of a week. But it was the news whenever Walmart was going to lay off a bunch of people. And I don't know about you, and it obviously didn't directly affect me being here at Grace Point, but it indirectly affected all of us, myself included. And there was something about that that it just began, it burst a bubble in my mind that Northwest Arkansas isn't exempt from the economic downturn. They're, they're not, we're not exempt from... from uh, uh, from diff- difficult days and, and hard economies. We're not exempt from that. It, we, we, we have to face them just like everybody else has to face them. And it came knocking on our door that day in February. Well, in the middle of that same night, un- unplanned to me, but about 1 or 2 in the morning, I had one of these wake-up calls from God. 
and I don't know if God, about the only time He could find my head not churning a thousand thoughts is at two in the morning, but He liked that time for me. It's His time. Maybe that's God's time zone in heaven. I don't know. But two, one or two in the morning is when I tend to wake up with these thoughts. Well, I woke up this morning not with just an inspirational thought, but with a heavy burden. And the burden was, was, was a question. And I really blame it on God because I really think the, the fruits of it since then have been, I think, a, a God thing. But, but the question was this. What are you going to do about it? I knew what it was. Because it was what I went to sleep thinking about. It was what I just heard on the news. It was all the job losses and the downturn in the economy and the people's lives is that, that all of a sudden are going to be... They went from, from getting ahead and having the American dream to, as most Americans, there would be some in our very neighborhoods that are one paycheck away from bankruptcy and that we would literally, within maybe a month, start seeing some serious ripple effects. And, and so the question that came to me in the middle of the night as a pastor at Grace Point Church and as a mere human following Christ is what are you going to do about it? Now, we've already saw at that point in February, we'd already seen the, the, the bailout packages and the, and, and the stimulus packages from Bush and Obama. And all those things were already kind of in play or in process of being in play. And, and so it's like, well, who, who am I in northwest Arkansas to think that I might come up with a better plan than, than a president or some economic advisor? What are you going to do about it? That was the only question that I had in my mind. And so I got up that night and you know, I just began to, to pour through and type any thought that came to my mind on the computer just to, to capture it and not lose it. And so in the process, I will fast forward to a conversation that happened the very next day when I got as many great thinkers in our church together that I could think of that had economic, tie, economic ties or community ties or something like that that we could get together quickly in kind of a triage moment for our community and say, what are we going to do about it? It's not just what am I going to do about it, but what are we going to do about it? I'm not the answer, man. I don't have all the answers. What are we going to do about it? And again, to fast forward a little bit further, we begin to get some things rolling to help some people with some career coaching, to help people with some grief loss of losing their jobs and, and, and different things like that. But even then, we knew in the beginning of a, of a new initiative that kind of was birthed that night in February was called Hope NWA, this idea that we want to keep hope alive. That was one of the things that one of my core values in this was I want to keep hope alive because, you know, when morale sinks, life is always seems worse than it actually is. Morale's high, life always seems better than it actually is, and I'd much rather see it as half full, not half empty. And so how can we keep hope alive? And, and we knew even then that the economy would turn around. We believed it would, but there would be other days. There would be different people. Maybe it's going to be the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's going to be an economic, maybe it's going to be a health concern. Maybe it's going to be an exploited child or an abused situation. Maybe it's going to be somebody who's grown up in a foster care situation that's not been a good situation. Or maybe they didn't even have the blessing of a foster care situation. They were so much in a dysfunctional family that it was not even healthy there. And we knew at that point some months into it, that Hope and W.A. did not need to die whenever the economy turned around. But that hope needed to always be on the front burner of everything that we did as a church and as a followers of Christ, that it went way beyond Grace Point Church, that it was going to involve the entire community sharing hope with an entire community. And thus, it was born. 
But again, I come back to the very first statement that I said that I really believe that with all my heart, the greatest way we can bless a community is through a church, through starting a church. So it does come back. Somehow it does come back to the church being the church in the community. And I'm so excited about when I think about Pete Finfrock last week sharing with us, you know, pastor, church planner in training. And by the way, that was his second message ever. I wish, I could only wish that after 20 years of being in the ministry, I would preach with such passion and clarity as he shared last week from his own life and his experience of going out into the world and not expecting the world to come to him for hope. And then, and then next week, it's going to be an awesome time when we have uh, uh, Samuel and his, his family, Nellie, uh, his wife, Nellie, and the children. We're going to commission them to go as church planners from our church to Rogers and to start a church. Uh, I, I'm going to butcher this Spanish, but please bear with me. Iglesia uh, de Ponto Gracia or something like that, something like Grace Point Church, all right, in Spanish. And anyway, they're going next week, and we're going to commission them, and that's going to be an awesome time, and you're going to hear from him next week. But again, we're, we're backing up on this, this point. We're building on this point that the greatest blessing we can give a community is to give them a church that will bless them body, soul, and spirit. Take your Bibles as we look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be today. As, as you think about being a blessing to a community, we've got to realize that, though it's not going to come, when it comes from the church, it's not going to always come well-received. That, that we're kind of going to be swimming upstream. Because just because we have this message of hope, it doesn't mean the world wants to receive it from us. And so, and this is really, I guess, the goal of this series of messages is that I have hope, I want to give hope. And we're not going to give hope inside the four walls of this church. We can do that, and we should do that. But we've got to think way beyond that. If that's all the limit and the scope of our hope giving, then we've, we've really missed it. Well, the, the early church had this commission given to them by God. God, Christ knew they were slow learners, kind of like us, slow learners, human beings. He gave them the same message five times. All these messages came after the resurrection. You can read them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. He gave them the same message five different times, five different ways, saying the same thing. Now, also, if you look at the book of Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8, as you see the, the account there, and we're not going to go there and read it, but you will read how he told them in Acts 1.8 that they were to go to Jerusalem. That was where they were living, obviously. You need to be in Jerusalem, and you need to be my witnesses, and you need to give hope, and you need to show love, and you need to show model forgiveness. They will know you are you are my disciples by your love for one another. You know, the world ought to see our love and commitment for each other and for the world, and they ought to be drawn to that. I think sometimes they're repelled by our hypocrisy, but they ought to be drawn to true, authentic Christianity. He says, you need to go to Jerusalem, and you need to show that off, and you need to live that out, and you need to go to Samaria, and you need to go to Judea, even way beyond that. And if I can't even mention all of it, go to the ends of the earth. And so he's given us basically what he's called us as a church and as followers of Christ to do. And he's to be his witnesses. That was in Acts 1.8. The problem is 
is that because they didn't live out Acts 1-8, Acts 8-1 came to be. Now, I don't think God, because the scriptures were all, you know, the chapters and verses were added later on, but it's just a bit of an irony that Acts 1-8 tells us to go, but we still find in Acts chapter 7, the very last verse of Acts chapter 7, we find them setting still in Acts 760. They're still setting still, and they're not going out. And they're not going to Jerusalem, and they're not going to Samaria, and they're not going to Judea, and they're not going to the ends of the earth. Acts 1-8 was the command, but it didn't happen until Acts 8-1. And so the challenge for us today, what happened in Acts 8-1? was a tremendous opposition began to rise up in the, church, in the community against the church. And I want us to today kind of look at, at, at Acts chapter 8, and I, I think we can kind of see maybe that we're 21st century believers are living a whole lot like 1st century believers. The, the culture and the climate of, of the 1st century is a whole lot like the climate and the culture of the 21st century that we're living in what could be some difficult times to be followers of Christ. And so there's three realities. Jot them down real quickly. The first reality is this, is that the church isn't welcomed in many communities. Now, even though I say that the church is the greatest way to bless the community, I think there's automatically walls that go up and opposition that kind of steps in that says no. No, it's not. And I'm tired of churches, and there are churches on every corner, and I'm tired of the hypocrisy, and I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of it. And, and, and there's almost this, this in our taste buds today in our culture, an opposition. Now look at verse chapter 8, verse 1, and let's see what happens here. In verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. That his execution was, was, uh, was Stephen. He's killed and. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. A great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And there were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happens is the the apple cart gets turned over a little bit here. All of a sudden, they're comfortable in their little Jerusalem setting, and all of a sudden, Saul, who later becomes Paul, as you know, he, he decides, hey, listen, we're going to take care of these Christians, and we're just going to extinguish them. And they started with Stephen, and they stoned him to death. And yes, stoning would be just exactly that, taking boulders and cracking it against his head. That right there sent fear throughout the congregation of the church in Jerusalem. They began to persecute the church. And verse 2 says, Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I want to challenge you today that we are nowhere living near that level of persecution in America. And I pray God will never be there. But I will say this, that we are about as welcome today when we really, as a church organization, institution, if you will, today in our culture as they were in the the city of Jerusalem in the first century. We, and I can't even go into developing all of that, but but just hang with me on that because our culture is changing. 
in our culture, you know, even recently the Rogers School Board, if I can point that out exactly, have now limited churches, or excuse me, eliminated churches from gathering in their facilities. We started in a school in Rogers. I didn't even know that was coming to the school board meeting. I would have been there. There's voice. How have we hurt the community in any way? But again, I just say that we're living in a day and age when no longer is the church welcomed. Let's just be ready for that. We're not at the level where we're being ravaged like Paul and stoning people, but we are living in a new day. Some anthropologists call it post-Christendom versus Christendom. Just to give you a quickie on that one is I I say there's probably more similarities between post-Christian, which means to be after, uh, and pre-Christian, which means to be before, than there is in Christendom. Because in Christendom, here's just a little bit of a parallel here, Christendom, during the time of Christendom, there was this church was at the center of culture. Okay, it was at the kind of a... It was kind of like on Main Street. I can remember in second grade in Rogers Public Schools that the the superintendent's wife was my second grade teacher. And literally every day before we went to school, before we went to lunch, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. You would never hear of that today. Never hear of that today. Today, it's quite different. We argue about whether or not Ten Commandments should be in the courthouses of America. God forbid that we would want people not to kill or steal, but let's take out the Ten Commandments where we get that from. We live today no longer where Christianity is at the center of society. We live in a post-Christian society in which we are now kind of put to the side in Christendom. It was kind of what had happened then is in 313 A.D., Constantine, in the Edict of Milan, legalized Christianity because up until that point, it did not exist. I mean, it was, not, it was existing, it was growing, it was flourishing, actually, quite, quite handily. In fact, it was because of that that Constantine realized that he needed to legalize Christianity. From that point forward, for many years and decades and centuries later, Christianity continued to grow until about the 19th or 20th century. In the 19th century in, in, Western, in Western Europe, where Christianity was once strong, it was now being pushed out off center stage. And what happens, and I'm going somewhere with this, so please hang with me. It's not just a history lesson. The church began to close their doors in, in Europe. You go there today and you'll find beautiful cathedrals that have been turned into museums. Where there are more tourists go there than worshipers that go there. Some great cathedrals in the countrysides have no longer only have tourists. They are now turned into homes or antique shops or museums because there's no need for a church in a very secularized post-Christian culture. Well, that, that same virus has drifted across the great big pond to American culture. And now you can go to the northeast of America and find literally the same thing. Great big cathedrals now being vacant and being turned into museums or homes sweeping down across American culture. And here we are in the Bible Belt of the South, the last bastion of hope for Christendom. And even now it's beginning to fade in our own culture. Not accepted. 
A study that was done in 2004 in the Journal of Scientific uh, Study of, of Religion reported that 17.7% of Americans regularly attend church. 17.7. Now you do the math on that. What does that look like when 400,000 people live in northwest Arkansas? You do the math and tell me. How many people in northwest Arkansas do not actively live out their faith? Last month in Parade Magazine, not exactly a journal of a great scholar, but anyway, Parade Magazine released a study of Americans who no longer, a thousand people were surveyed, Americans no longer follow conventional religion but still consider themselves spiritual. Forty-five percent of the respondents labeled themselves religious, but yet seven out of ten, rarely if ever, are a part of a church gathering. What I'm trying to say is that we're in almost hostile environment today. These are hostile times, not quite ravaging the church as Paul, but I want us to understand that we're living in a day when Christianity is not full-on embraced. Now, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to live in that tension? How are we going to live in that discomfort? One person said it like this. He says, Neither the Lord Jesus Himself nor the early church regarded minority status as abnormal. This is a great statement. It was only with the advent of Christendom that the church was seduced into believing that she should exercise majority control by force and not faith. I, I say all this to just, just bring us to, to this reality that we may be more like the time, living in more like the times of Jesus in all of their secularism in the 21st century as they lived in the 1st century which to me will almost create an environment for a purer expression, a more real and authentic expression of Christianity. So I'm okay with the discomfort. I'm okay with this because what happened is that Acts 1-8 wasn't happening until Acts 8-1 happened. It wasn't until the Christians got uncomfortable in Jerusalem that then they started going out and sharing their faith. And they scattered abroad. And they went beyond where they were. What happened between Mrs. Lingle, second grade class, when I prayed the Lord's Prayer every day, and now in the same public school, and I'm not picking on them, I just went there. Okay? And we just started there. But now you can't have a church service. What happened in 30 years? you would see such a drastic difference. I just say in our culture, Christianity is no longer a welcome sight. I want to lead you to the second reality that we must live up to. Which I'll say this to you as we move on. is We're going to have to learn to live in that, that discomfort of being minority status as devout followers of Christ. If you want to just be some kind of plastic Christian, there's lots of opportunities for that. You can even come to Grace Point Church and be plastic and fake and and authentic. But if you want to be life-changing, truly living out your faith, truly bringing hope to a culture and to a people, you will will, be swimming upstream. Here's the second reality. The church can make a meaningful touches in the community. Now here, this almost seems like a, a dichotomy here. How can the church not be welcomed, but yet the church make meaningful touches? 
Because that, that's, that's the opposition that pulls against each other. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said in his own midst of persecution, he said persecution of the church is the seedbed of the church. Persecution actually gives new life to the church. That's why I said I'm more excited about the 21st century Christianity than I was the 20th century Christianity. I think that there's an opportunity for us to be a real live church in a community that may not just embrace us, that we can actually make a difference. Thus is one of the main reasons I wanted to come back and start a church and not go to an existing church. Because I wanted a different church. A church that would actually reach into a community and touch it in a meaningful way. We can go inside in this opposition and hide from this big evil world and put a Christian bubble around us and hope nobody pops our bubble. We can go out into the streets and protest against it. Or we can go into this world and give meaningful, loving touches to this world. I want our church to be a church who blesses the community, body, soul, and spirit. And the great thing about this text is you see that. Look at, pick up with me at verse 4. Verse 4 is whenever they go and they said, Now those who were scattered, obviously they're leaving Jerusalem, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Ah, ironic. That's what Jesus told you to do in the beginning. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Underscore that. Proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds, in one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw signs that he did for the unclean spirits, underscore that word, unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many and ha- and who had them. And many were paralyzed or lame were healed, underscore that word. As you look at this passage of Scripture, I want to show you so quickly. I just want you to underline them, but I want you to see that the church... The early church was a blessing to the community, soul, spirit, and body. Notice that in verse 4, he went out preaching. That's the soul element, speaking truth. They went out preaching to the people. Also, to the spirit. They were a blessing to the spirit because the spirit, the evil spirits came out of them and it set their, their darkness uh, to light. It set their, their evil spirit from them. And so they were, they were a blessing to their spirit. They were also a blessing to their bodies. These people were paralyzed and sick, and people were being healed. See, God wants us to be a blessing in all of the chambers and all of the, the, the areas of life. How, as a church, are we being a blessing? How is the church, even in the midst of a different day in which we live, being a blessing to the community? Next week, on, on Saturday, we're going to have a Hope and Action Day. And you see lined up across the front here all the various ways that you can be involved in that. You've got in your, in your worship guide today opportunities that are listed out there. In a little bit, you're going to be able to come by if you want. If you haven't already turned yours in, and you can just, during our response time, just lay your commitment at one of these, at one of these tables, whether it's helping out with our children as the parents, our preschoolers, as the parents are out doing work in the community. What a blessing to the blessing givers. Or if it's, if it's here, this is helping at the Northwest Arkansas Women, Women's Shelter. 
where women go that are abused and hurt and, and, and it's a safe place for them. Or it's helping out in the community, in a neighborhood where we're going to be starting this church and we're literally going into the neighborhood and we're saying, hey, here is a free service to you. All right, how we can bless you in your neighborhood as we come in and we start a church. Or it's helping out with Operation Christmas Child. By the way, y'all are awesome. You know, last week I, I gave a challenge of the Christmas tree and we had a goal of 121 were taken. By the end of, just exactly as I said, by the end of the second service, we had zero left. All right, I think I found one and I hung it on the tree back there. And so, anyway, there's one maybe back there if it's not already gone. You all responded beautifully. You're awesome. All right, give yourself a hand. Give yourself a pat on the back. Let's do that. All right, there you go. Awesome job. But we're going to be putting those packages together. Now all we have to do is raise $7 a package for shipping it off. All right, then we got also uh, Saving Grace. Is that right? Am I saying it right? Okay, Saving Grace Ministries, helping mothers that are in transition from foster care into adult world. And I was even talking to one just this past week how what a amazing opportunity and fear that came over them when they knew they no longer could be in the foster care system and they had to immediately go into adulthood. And they didn't feel like they were ready for that. And then also providing food for those who are hungry that are serving and working and those that are in the community that we're serving. These are all ministries. Just one day. Don't don't think in in, in a sense that this is an event. We want this to be a lifestyle. I want to show you real quickly a clip from a church in, in, in Keller, Texas that did such a thing and went in. Now, again, this is very raw. We had to pull it off the, as you can see, off the website. We couldn't get it, but hopefully you will be able to get the, the story here. Watch this real quickly. After 24 straight hours of gutting, stripping, and remodeling a home, a team of volunteers proudly revealed their hard work to a well-deserving Halton City family tonight. The project is just one of four home makeovers that happened overnight in the area. New at 10, CBS 11, Selena Hernandez brings us more. I'm very excited to see Renee's reaction. So, see the family's reaction whenever they get to see everything. After a night of what seemed to be an endless amount of work. Looking at where it was versus where it, where it is, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but it was worth it. It's a, it's a great feeling. It all came down to this. Overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude, the Brett Schneider family absorbs the additions of their newly renovated home. For the past 24 hours, the family waited anxiously as a team of about 400 volunteers worked through the night to transform every square inch of their house. This three-bedroom home was given a complete overhaul inside and out, complete with new appliances, furniture, and a fence. The project is a labor of love for members of Northwood Church in Keller. This is the congregation's third year to take on the challenge of renovating homes under extreme time constraints. When you turn it all over to God, he's in charge. It's going to take care of you. The Brett Schneiders were selected based on their need. Joni has battled a brain tumor and was recently hospitalized. Not embarrassed for people to come over anymore. <laughs> it's a project that has left a family elated with excitement and volunteers fulfilled 
with accomplishment. I can't believe this happened to me. This is I can't believe that that this happened. <laughs> uh, overwhelming. <laughs> I'm I'm grateful. <laughs> Words can't describe how how good I feel. It feels amazing. It really does. Um, Coming here today, we knew that we'd be able to get it done. We, we really did, but everybody pulled together and just did what needed to be done. Truly an amazing effort made by all. And in addition to this home, 22 other homes on this very street either received a mini makeover or free yard service. In Halton City, Selena Hernandez, CBS 11 News. You know, I had to show you that no matter how crude it looks on, on a screen like that, because what I want us to see today is that we're living in a world that no longer looks at the church as a positive, it looks at it as a negative nuisance. We're living in that kind of hostile environment, maybe somewhat similar to what Paul was living in, or excuse me, Philip and the early followers of Christ were living in. But it didn't stop them, it didn't silence them. It actually mobilized them. And they went to Samaria. And they blessed the people of Samaria, body, soul, and spirit. They met physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. They met it all. They were that kind of believers. They were that kind of church. Which leads me to the third reality, real quickly as I finish. And that is this. The community will value the church when the church is a blessing. If we will not just be ones who hold up banners and boycott things, but we are actually a church that is a blessing to our community, our community will value us. Our community will see the difference. will see actually what we bring to the table and the opportunities that we are able to share. And again, it's, it's, there's been studies that have been done. I can't even go into them all about about the, the impact of when a church leaves a community, when a church is vibrant and it leaves a community, what happens to the, 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 the culture and the, and the value systems. We have got to be a church that, that continues to, to live outside our four walls and doesn't just exist for ourselves. After pastoring three churches and starting seven other churches in Africa, I'll tell you this, I know this about churches. There's a natural digression away from kingdom global missional living to where there's a natural tendency to turn in to self-seeking, self-agendas all about us. And we stand at the threshold of being an eight-year-old church and having our own facility. We stand at a, a, temp, a tempting threshold. Exists for ourselves or exists for our community. And if we just exist for ourselves, one of these days we will close the doors on our church like 2,000 other churches across our nation will do this year. And when that happens, it would be 20, 30 years from now. Whenever that happens, they won't even miss us. They won't even miss us. They will have moved on. The community will have gone on without us. But I would hope that verse 8 would be the verse that is said of Grace Point Church. Because after all of this work, after they blessed the community, body, soul, and spirit, look at verse 8, what it says. So there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. That city, that city council, those city officials, that school board, they noticed that there's a difference here. 
that there's much joy that has come to our city. There's much hope that has come to our city. There's life that's come to our city because the church came to our city. When the church is the church, is the blessing to the community, then we will help with body, soul, and spirit, and there will be great joy in that city. That is my prayer. That is my desire, that we would be a joy-instilling, infusing kind of church into our community. An amazing thing happened this week. It may not excite you, but I got pumped in the midst of getting ready for this extreme neighborhood makeover, or this neighborhood makeover that we're going to do. Listen to this, because this is going to be in Rogers on Bishop Street in Rogers. We're going to be starting this Hispanic work. The city of Rogers contacted us and said there's a 81-year-old widow lady over here whose house is about to be, she's about to be in serious trouble because of code violations and so on and so forth. And I won't give you all the details other than to say that. And they said, would your church come to our town and help this 81-year-old lady clean up her house and get her in a livable situation and help get things right? So we don't have to take action on her. You know what that did to me? It led me right to this verse. When the city starts looking at the church and say, "You're a blessing," would you come be a blessing in our city? I got excited about that. Amen. That's exciting. I hope that in Benville, Arkansas, in Bellavista, in Centerton, I would hope that there would be much joy in the city because of. What we do, not just on one day out of the year, but what we do every day of our life as a church of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Band, come on back up.